Welcome back to The Boy from Splendora, Texas by Wallace Gibbs. Jerry's House, Episode 1 Wallace, finish brushing your teeth. The bus will be here in any minute, Gina shouted from the kitchen. I'm coming, I'm coming, I yelled back. I rounded the corner, ran through the living room, picked up my books and a brown paper grocery sack that had a pair of blue jeans, a pair of clean underwear, socks, and a shirt along with my toothbrush. Don't forget that I'm spending the night over at Jerry's tonight, I said. Spending the night at someone's house was a treat. This was my first time to spend the night over at someone's house that wasn't a relative. I couldn't wait. Jerry and I had planned this for over a week. I bounded outside and reached the end of the driveway just as the bus was coming to a stop in front of our house. The doors to the bus opened and there was Mama in the driver's seat. Can I sit up next to you and work the switches for the flashing lights? I asked. No, Mama replied. I already told Virgil that he could do it. I watched as Virgil set his stuff down behind the driver's seat. He then climbed up on the console next to Mama, where there was just enough room for a small child to sit and face the bus driver. I took my seat as I heard Mama giving instructions to Virgil. Don't forget to click that switch when I start slowing down that turns on the yellow lights. The red lights will come on when I open the door. The bus that we were on was bus number six, a 1968 International Harvester. The great thing about this bus was there was a set of seats towards the middle that faced each other. Whenever possible, I would claim these seats as my own and dole out the space to my friends as they boarded the bus. The bus trundled through the normal route of Relza Drive, County Line Road, and then May Drive. By the end of the route, the bus was filled with elementary, junior high, and high school students while we headed to the Splendora ISD property. As the bus came to a stop in between the elementary and the junior high school buildings, I heard the air brakes hiss as Mama applied the parking brake. I waited until all the other kids were off before I made my way down the aisle. What time will you pick me up at Jerry's tomorrow? I asked. We'll be there around 10 o'clock, Mama said. We're going to pick some blackberries tomorrow, and I want you to come with us. Yes, ma'am. I love you. Make sure to obey Mr. and Miss Scarborough, Mama commanded. Yes, ma'am. I exited the bus and made my way to the school cafeteria. Jerry was sitting in his normal seat at the sixth grade table. As I approached him, he stood up and asked me if I was ready to go and raise the flags. At the beginning of the year, Jerry and I had been selected to raise the U.S. and Texas flags in the morning and then lower and fold them in the afternoon. This was a huge honor and perk as it allowed us more freedom to be in the hallways unescorted than most of the other kids. We exited the cafeteria and headed to the principal's office where the flags were kept overnight and on the weekends. Good morning, Miss Sesam, we said in tandem. Morning, boys, Miss Sesam returned. What are you planning to do this weekend? 
I'm spending the night over at Jerry's house tonight. I can't wait until today is over. I hope y'all have a good time. Jerry went to the storage closet and collected both of the flags. He handed me the Texas flag and we began to walk down the hallway towards the front of the school. We passed by the music room and the fourth grade rooms. As we were passing the fifth grade rooms, Mr. Mackshan came out of his classroom. Morning, boys, Mr. Mackshan said. Good morning, Mr. Mackshan, we replied. As we passed the sixth grade rooms and exited the building, I said, Mr. Mackshan was my favorite teacher so far. Mine too, Jerry replied. Jerry and I quickly attached the flags and ran them up the flagpole. As we made our way back to the cafeteria, the morning bell had already rung, so we quickly grabbed our stuff and we headed back down the hallway towards our classroom, without a teacher escort, I might add. After all, we were sixth graders. I entered the classroom and headed to my desk. In the corner of the classroom, I could see Mike Futrell and Joseph Reznicek talking to each other. Mike Futrell was new to the school district. The first day of our sixth grade year, he was introduced to Mrs. Clifton's class. Hey, somebody shouted, we now have two Mikes in the class, Mike Duke and Mike Futrell. Afterwards, Mike Futrell and Joseph became great friends. They were both Star Trek fans, and on this particular day, they were both wearing solid light blue shirts on which a Star Trek insignia had been taped. I headed to my seat on the third row, second seat in. Mr. Gilly came in the classroom and asked us to take our seats. Mrs. Clifton had been our teacher from August through December, but took maternity leave during the spring of 1978. As Mike passed my desk, he turned to me and held up his right hand that formed a V in the middle and ring fingers. Live long and prosper, Mike stated. Thanks, I hope to, I answered back. Boys and girls, Mr. Pagilly began, please open your math books to page 237. We are going to learn about multiplying and dividing fractions today. Groans could be heard from the back of the room. Don't worry, Mr. Gilly said. I'm going to teach you a couple of ways to remember how to do it. Mr. Gilly continued his lecture and taught us the following two statements that I still remember today. Multiplying fractions is no problem. It's tops times top and bottom times bottom. When dividing fractions, do not cry. Turn the second one over and multiply. The rest of the morning we took our spelling test and then Miss Ruth Ray came in to teach us English. Afterwards we went to lunch. Right after lunch we had social studies with Mrs. Pig and then P.E. with Coach Vice. Next was science with Mrs. Reed. Mrs. Reed and Mrs. Ray were some of the oldest teachers in the building along with Mrs. Bowley. Mrs. Reed handed us a worksheet and we all began filling in the information that was required. After working for about 15 minutes, I ran into a question that I couldn't answer, so I headed up to the teacher's desk where Mrs. Reed was sitting. Scott Wiley and Melvin Ball were already up there 
waiting to be helped. I went behind Mrs. Reed's desk and patiently waited until she finished helping Melvin. Suddenly, from deep within my bowels, I felt it. A fart. I stood there for a minute, and I tried to think of what to do. Releasing a fart in front of your peers was a social disaster. You would be the laughing stock of the class until something new came along to distract them. I couldn't walk away because that only increased the chances of the fart coming out and could make it come out audibly. I tightened my buttocks, trying to hold it in, but to no avail. I could feel it as it slipped out. Luckily, it was a silent one. What I didn't know was that it was an SBD, silent but deadly. One time, Mike Futrell and I had a discussion about the varying levels of farting. We talked about how what if farts were visible in the color spectrum when they came out. Light pink would be for those farts that were released but were completely innocuous. No one would ever know that they were there except for the pink tint in the air. The color coding scale worked its way from pink to yellow to light green to darker green and eventually to black, the most deadly of all. Well, this one was a pitch black fart. As instructed, via social norms, I completely ignored the heinous cloud that enveloped me, trying not to breathe the toxic air. Please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, don't let anyone else smell this. I prayed as I stood in front of the classroom behind Mrs. Reed, still waiting <laughs> on Melvin to finish his conversation. Suddenly, Mrs. Reed exclaimed, My goodness, who released that? Not me, Melvin vehemently stated. I didn't do it, I exclaimed, trying to draw the attention away from me. I didn't do it, Scott Wiley uttered. Whew, we're going to have to vacate this area until the air clears, Mrs. Reed said as she stood up walked to the classroom door, and opened it. Melvin, Scott, and I all returned to our desk under the accusing eye of the entire classroom. Everyone was waiting for one of us to confess so that the ridicule could begin. As Scott took his seat, which was next to mine, he leaned over and said, I know that it was you because it certainly wasn't me. It was not me. I retorted. Finally, the bell rang, indicating the end of the day. I collected my belongings and walked with Jerry to bus number eight, the bus that would take us to Jerry's house down Tram Road. Wallace Gibbs, what are you doing here? Mrs. Hanson, the bus driver, asked. Mrs. Hanson was Stephen Hanson's mom and the only other lady named Georgia that I knew besides Mama. Stephen was also in Mr. Gilly's class with me and Jerry. I'm spending the night with Jerry, I answered back. Well, that sounds good, she said. 
Bus number 8 pulled out of the school property and headed down FM 2090. At Tram Road, we made a left turn. The bus began disgorging kids at various stops until we came to Jerry's Road. They don't drop you in front of your house? I ask. Nope. The street comes to a dead end and there isn't a really good place to turn the bus around, Jerry replied. We walked about a half a mile and came up on Jerry's place. Jerry lived in a trailer house that was perpendicular to the road. Sitting in the front yard was an RV trailer that was white with brown, orange, and yellow stripes that ran around the midsection. That's where we're going to sleep tonight, Jerry said. No way, I said. Yep, Mom and Daddy said that we could. It will just be the two of us since Jimmy, who is Jerry's twin brother, is spending the night at one of his friend's house. Jerry and I walked up a set of wooden steps that led up to a covered porch. Jerry opened the door to the trailer house, and we went inside. Mr. Scarborough was sitting at the kitchen table smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer. Dad, this is my friend Wallace. He's spending the night with us tonight. It's nice to meet you, Mr. Scarborough, I said as I extended my hand towards Jerry's dad. It's nice to meet you, too, Mr. Scarborough replied as he took my hand and shook it. Where do you live? I live on FM 2090 East, about eight-tenths of a mile from Mr. Pezzle's store, I answered. Are you Jane and George Gibbs, son? Yes, sir. Y'all get the Houston Chronicle, don't you? Yes, sir. Well, I deliver your paper to you every morning. Wow, I never knew. Yep, Mr. Scarborough said as he took a sip of beer. Where are you boys sleeping tonight? I thought that we would sleep out in the camper, if that's okay with you, Jerry stated. I don't have a problem with that. Just don't mess with the stove. And if you have to go to the bathroom, then come inside. Yes, sir. By this time, Mrs. Scarborough had come to the table. Mama, this is my friend Wallace from school, Jerry said. Hello, Wallace, she said. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too, I answered. Well, you boys need to run along. We're going to eat supper around six o'clock, Mrs. Scarborough instructed. Mr. Scarborough goes to bed early because he gets up around three o'clock in the morning to get the papers ready to deliver. Wow, that's really early, I stated. Come on, Jerry commanded. Let's go outside. Where do you want me to put my stuff? Let's go and put it in the RV, Jerry said. Jerry and I turned around, went outside, and headed to the RV. Jerry opened the door to the camper, and we went inside. Over here is the light switch, Jerry instructed as he turned the lights on. Awesome, I said. How often do you spend the night out here? Sometimes I come out when my dad drinks a lot. I didn't know what to say. Neither Mama or Daddy drank alcohol, so I really hadn't been exposed to it a lot. The only times that I really saw beer was when Uncle Dean would come to visit. Anytime he came down from Tennessee, he would bring a 24-pack of Lone Star beer in cans. My Uncle Dean drinks a lot when he comes to visit, I replied. Hey, let's go outside and ride bikes. Since Jimmy's not home, you can ride his bike, Jerry said. Okay, 
We walked out of the RV and headed to a lean-to where two bicycles were propped up against a support pole. Jimmy's is the white one, Jerry said as he pointed to a 10-speed. Do you know how to ride a 10-speed? Yes, Charlotte has one and she's let me ride it before. Let's ride up the street to where it meets Tram Road. Okay. I mounted the 10-speed and Jerry mounted his bike. It was a little tough riding at first because of the soft dirt drive. Once we reached the asphalt street, it became much easier. I had only ridden Charlotte's 10-speed bicycle once. It was a little too tall for me to manage, so I kept to my own single-speed golden bike with the banana-style seat. Do you ever ride to Mr. Pezzle's store? I asked. Sometimes, Jerry said. I like to pick up Coke bottles on the way, and that's how I pay for my soft drink. Me too, I replied. A lot of times, Virgil and I can find enough bottles to get an orange soda and a candy bar. I like Suncrest orange sodas because they have a cork liner in the top. I know, Jerry responded. That is so cool. Is there a TV in the camper? I asked. Yep, there sure is. Do you want to watch The Incredible Hulk tonight? Yes, I said. Please don't make me angry, I said. Because you won't like me when I'm angry, Jerry finished. That is one of my favorite TV shows, I said. Mine too. For the rest of the afternoon, we rode bikes and played catch with each other. At six o'clock, Mrs. Scarborough called us in for supper. You boys make sure that you wash your hands, she said. Yes, ma'am. We headed to the bathroom that was just down the hall from the kitchen and washed up for dinner. Is Tammy going to join us? I asked, referring to Jerry's older sister that was in the same grade as Gina. No, she's on a date. As we sat down, I scanned the table for what was being served. Pork chops, green beans, and mashed potatoes was what was on the menu. I waited a minute, and then I saw Mr. Scarborough serve himself a pork chop and then pass the plate. We all took one and then followed the same routine with the beans and potatoes. I hesitated, expecting someone to say the blessing. However, Mr. Scarborough dug right in and began to eat. The rest of us followed suit. That was delicious, I told Mrs. Scarborough as we finished up. Thank you, sweetie. Now why don't you and Jerry run along? It was almost eight o'clock, just in time for the Incredible Hulk, so we headed to the camper and got settled in. Jerry turned on the TV, and the narration, familiar to both of us, began. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now, when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. The creature is driven by rage and pursued by an investigative reporter. David Banner Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead, and he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him.
After the episode was over, Jerry turned off the TV. This concludes Episode 1 of Jerry's House.